don't be afraid to ask for terms other than price. It's not always about the price. Sometimes you can get very favorable terms. I've gotten myself into so many deals that I had no business getting into because I didn't have the cash, but I gave the person the money and got the terms that I wanted. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode, are you looking for some financing, maybe some more money to do your fix and flip projects? Are you looking to grow your fix and flip business? Well, guess what? Got a solution for you. It's Fund That Flip. You know Fund That Flip. Matt Rodak, the founder of Fund That Flip, has been on the show multiple times. He's a friend of mine, and they love working with the best ever listeners. They provide short-term fix-and-flip loans to experienced investors. They've got an online platform, makes the entire process super easy, and you can get funded in as few as seven days that quick. So if you're looking for a reliable funding partner, Go to fundthatflip.com. That's F-U-N-D-T-H-A-T-F-L-I-P.com. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We've only talked about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. We've spoken to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, author Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Emmett Smith. He plays a little football and he does development and many others. With us today, AJ has a... How you doing, AJ? Doing fantastic, thanks. Nice to have you on the show. And a little bit about AJ. Well, we've got the winner of the Kelowna Chamber of Commerce, Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award. He is the founder and associate broker at the Vantage West Realty Kelowna. His portfolio includes development property, resort property, rentals, fix and flips, and cash flow properties. He's based in British Columbia, Canada. With that being said, AJ, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? You got it. Well, I got into the business when I was 19 years old and I became a real estate agent shortly thereafter. This was just going into that boom that we had from 2002 all the way up into 2008. So I caught the bug early and was just really feeling that I had found the right business for myself because I hadn't experienced any downturns yet. So I was collecting real estate as fast as I could get my hands on it, doing a lot of flips to try to build up my capital. And by 2007, I had about 15 doors and was doing pretty good. And then obviously the downturn happened and a couple of knocks, but weathered the storm pretty good because the bulk of my portfolio was all cash flow stuff. I still, like I said, I still have my real estate company here, a property management company. And since then, I've been doing a lot of development stuff, buying some multifamily apartment buildings, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. What is your project right now that you're focused on? We've got a few different projects. We've got a small lot subdivision, 13 modern green built homes near the city center. We've also got 14 villas at the golf course out at the rise. And I've got some projects downtown, some work live lofts that we're building 10 units down on Pandozi in our South Pandozi village. Why the evolution from buying existing properties to buying dirt and then building the properties? It wasn't necessarily that I switched. I still purchase regular residential property. I'm just all about trying to add value anywhere where we can add value. And there was certain pockets and certain opportunities that came to me that warranted a good hard look. And at this stage in my career, the access to the capital needed to do these types of things is there. And that's why we've kind of gone that route. But the bread and butter stuff, the multifamily, the duplexes, the houses, all of those things are still a focus. It's one thing to want to add value by identifying an opportunity to build. It's another to actually execute on it. How did you find the team members to surround yourself with since you hadn't done it previously? You just hit the nail on the head there. You need a team, 100%. You can't do it all. A gentleman that I know worked at a consulting firm, and these guys, they help developers put together plans, 
specifically all the way through project management. So my first project there with the small lot subdivision, I was foolish enough to think I could project manage it myself. And I had these guys do the engineering side of it and the consulting side, and then I project managed it. I would never do that again. Mm. Always want to do a project manager. Mm-hmm. You give up the 8% and let somebody else do it. What were some specific lessons learned when you did the project management of it? And what development was it? The subdivision that I did up on Modern Way, one of the things that stands out to me was in negotiating the contract for the underground services. And the pro forma they did for me, they had sort of given me a number, which was 100000 for the putting in the shallow utilities and the deep underground utilities. And so me not knowing really how it all works, I didn't negotiate that contract well. I called somebody that I knew, I had them come out, and then in the end, there were all these types of loose ends as to who was paying for what in terms of materials and rental of equipment that was needed, all the contingencies, and we, we ran into everything, rock and water and all the things that you could <laughs> run into. And there were no contingencies built into the contract, of course, right? Because everything was fairly loose because I didn't really know how to write an MMCD contract at the time. So that's why you hire a project manager. In my mind, that's half experience, but the other half is having an attorney who has experience with those types of contracts to make sure the clauses are in there. For sure. And you can get some boilerplate agreements for sure, and you can hire an attorney to go through it. But I don't think anything is going to replace the know-how of somebody who's managed successfully multiple projects from beginning to completion. That's invaluable. Mm-hmm. Let's hone in on one of these developments. Which one do you want to pick? Let's stay with the one we're talking about. Okay. And what's the size of it? 13 lots. 13 it was a, so lots. It was a three-acre three piece that I rezoned and carved into 13 50 by 120 lots. And we went through and not only created the lots and built the street, and we pioneered Kelowna's first green street, which was kind of a different thing. It's no curbs and gutters. We use these little bio swales and it's a very funky street. But now we've actually went and became a new home builder as well. And we're building right through to the end product. So I've hung on a little longer to this project than I initially intended to. I was just going to sell lots. Mm -hmm. And then when I saw where the market was going, I thought, why not become a new home builder as well and, and just build the end product? Okay, so let's start from the first time that you had the idea to buy the piece of land, the three acres. It wasn't zoned what it currently is zoned because you said you went to three zoning. What was it that attracted you to this lot and what was it zoned for when you purchased it? It was currently zoned agriculturally. There was a house on the property that was totally dilapidated. It was brought to me by a friend of mine, actually. She mentioned that her grandparents had passed on and they were going to look to settle the estate. And she came to me and asked me if I wanted to sell it on their behalf. And they also told me that there was another realtor that was offering them an amount for the property. And I essentially said, yeah, I think I'd be interested in doing something with you guys on this. And then I called my friend who was that consultant and him and I just on a sheet of paper, we stood there at the lot and drew where the road would go and <laughs> pasted off and figured out whether or not this thing could be carved into 13 lots. And then we went down to the city and we said, this is what we're thinking about doing and sort of called in bringing the planning department into the picture at this point. And they all said, yeah, we'd support that. And away we went. What's the key to get support with the planning department on a rezoning? You want to understand what their goals and initiatives are and give them something that meets their goals. You can look at the official community plan of any place and you can look at what the initiatives they're trying to achieve. If they're trying to densify an area, you want to go with the grain with the OCP, in my opinion. There are people Mm -hmm. who want to reinvent the wheel. My opinion is to find parcels of land and give the city what they want to see there in the future. Mm -hmm. And they were looking to make it more dense, correct? They want to increase their tax base in certain areas. right? And so that area, 
was future zoned for regular residential homes. So we're just sort of accelerating that. They're getting frontage improvements and development cost charges. There's a lot of benefits to the city when development happens. So provided you're not asking for something that's outside their plan, you can usually gain support fairly quick. And did you two go to them and say, we'd like these 13 lots or were there more or less initially? No, we got exactly what we were after. And why did you have 13 lots, 50 by 120 versus two lots or 26 lots? It really just comes down to two lots. The pro forma wouldn't have worked. At the time, we were thinking, okay, $150,000 a lot. This is going back five years now. They're over 200. But at the time, we said, okay, 13 times 150,000 is 1. 1.8. And we figured it was going to cost about a million two to develop it. And we just sort of did the rough math and figured out what we could pay for the land and still make a decent margin. So at two lots, wouldn't have done it. And 13 was the maximum that we would have gotten based on the minimum parcel sizes. So we just went for the max, but it was still inside their bylaws and their rules. The minimum parcel sizes, according to that counties or that municipalities. Yeah, we were taking them to R1 and we look at the minimum parcel size for R1 and figured out once you take away the road, how many lots you can get. As far as taking away the road, that's where your buddy was coming into play, right? Because that would be a tough thing for me to pencil in. Yeah, and we're staring at this thing. It's covered in trees. There's a mound in the middle. I mean, you guys <laughs> were looking at it, and he's picturing the mound gone and the trees gone. And there's a he's telling me, okay, we're going to have this S-Bend road that's going to go in, and it's going to have a cul-de-sac right up at the top, right towards that tree off in the distance. And he's seeing it, right, because he's done this before, all the earthworks. I've never seen it. I said, okay, that sounds good. On a piece of paper, when you draw it, and I go, okay, I'm 300 feet wide by 1,000 feet deep, and I go, okay, so I'm going to have about a 700-foot deep road, and I can, okay, that's about seven-tenths of my piece of paper, right? You know, you can kind of pencil it out, and you can visualize it if you're looking at a two-dimensional piece of paper. But when you're standing on the lot, yeah, I mean, having one of these guys that's got the experience who can look at something and say, okay, this is how it'll look after we bring these big machines through. Mm -hmm. With not having done it before, how do you have a kind of a checks and balances between you two to make sure that what he's saying is accurate because everyone makes mistakes. For sure. And there were mistakes made. I mean, the amount of fill that we brought in initially was based on some calculations that he had done. And in the end, I ended up having to truck a whole bunch of that fill out. So I mean, there's <laughs> a huge trucking cost because of the calculations were not exact, but it's never going to be perfect. It's development. You don't know what you're going to run into. But somebody with a good track record, someone that you trust, it's not going anywhere. They're not, you know, fly by night. I mean, I put a lot of faith into the engineering. And, you know, in the end, it worked out great. But you know, were there some missteps along the way? 100%. But luckily, a good market. We absorbed them. You said you did the first Green Street in that area. What made you think of doing that? And what were the additional steps that needed to be taken in order to kind of pioneer that? Initially, we were trying to figure out a creative way to get the cost of the road down. Mm. And there were some projects in Victoria that had done these curbless, gutterless roads that were narrower, so less asphalt, no curb and sidewalk required either. So you're doing these plantings in these little bioswales, right? So it's your landscape materials more. But it also added a nice aesthetic because the properties all appeared to be 15 feet deeper and had these really nice landscape berms in front versus having curb and sidewalk. So it's kind of like a zero-edge road. So I saw pictures of it. That's gorgeous. Plus, it's also less expensive to produce. So we thought, okay, we got to get a city on side for this. So we went down and we started talking to different council members and different people from planning and just explained our idea and asked if they would support it. 
And many were in favor. And when we had enough of them on side, we decided to put it in front of council and, and go for it. Mm. Do you have pictures of that on your website? Not on my website, but I could send you a photo. Okay. Yeah, if I'll give you an email address later and after we get done, and then we'll post that in the show notes link so best ever listeners can check that out. And then last question, then we'll move on because I know our time's limited. The numbers, that little detail, how much did you acquire it for? What was the all-in price and where are you at now? Paid 630000 for the property back in 2012 and cost us about $1.3 million to develop it some cost overruns over the initial thought process. And then we sold the land component for 2.6. So we're up to 200,000 per lot now on the land component. So we got 2.6, which is better than our initial pro forma. Mm-hmm. And then on each of the homes, we are at a 10% of build cost to the developer as well. So we're building homes in the six to 800,000 range for the most part. So there's a 60 to $80,000 edge for each property as well. Very cool. So you sold the land for 2.6 all in, you're out about 2 million to get to that point. And then for every house you're making about 60 to 70,000 ish. Yeah. So about, I, I think there's total profit on the project, but 1.4. Mm-hmm. Over about five years. Yeah. It's been a five year project. Got it. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? Best real estate investing advice ever is to actually, I looked at the question and there's sort of three answers to this. (laughs) Number one, you get what you negotiate. Don't be afraid to ask for terms other than price. It's not always about the price. Sometimes you can get very favorable terms. I've gotten myself into so many deals that I had no business getting into because I didn't have the cash, but I gave (laughs) the person the money and got the terms that I wanted. Mm -hmm. Number two, don't do what everyone else is doing. Don't follow the crowd. What everyone's doing is usually the wrong thing. And Number three, you can protect yourself by always buying for cash flow. All the mistakes that I made were always based on speculating versus mm-hmm. investing in cash flow producing properties. So I know it's well, multiple things. No, it's great. One follow-up question on that, and then we'll go into the lightning round. You said you can get better terms and you get what you negotiate. You said you got into deals where you didn't have any reason to be in the deal, but you just got the right terms. What would be an example of that? Sure. There's one recently. We had a commercial property in a very high traffic area here in Kelowna. And the price they wanted for the property was a little rich and it had been sitting on the market for a period of time. I did some investigating, found that these guys owned it for nearly for cash and was able to strike up a win-win deal where they vendor financed the lion's share of the down payment required to buy this property. So my total cash outlay should have been half of a million and it ended up being 150,000. Mm. So I was able to get into a property for essentially 7% down, 8% down versus having to put 35%, which is what you would typically have to do on a property like this. So that deal, for example, this is going to be a great holding property. We're eventually going to move our, our business and our office there. And it would have been too cash intensive at the time for us had we not negotiated the terms, but most people would never think to ask that. Mm-hmm. So it's out on the market for days. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. You want to get better at negotiating real estate? Well, how about, do you want to get better at negotiating real estate for free? Even better, right? Well, go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever. Fund That Flip, today's sponsor, has partnered with bestselling author Jay Scott to provide you with a free chapter from Jay's new book, 
on negotiating real estate. I've read the book, lots of good real-world case studies sprinkled in there too. I love it when they do that. Go to fundthatflip.com forward slash best ever to download your free copy of the chapter today. The Corporate Investor Podcast is geared towards successful corporate employees with high-income jobs looking to create a second stream of income. You'll hear from successful real estate investors on the show as they describe how they got started investing while working their full-time corporate job. Listen and subscribe at thecorporateinvestor.com. That's thecorporateinvestor.com. Best ever book you've read? Millionaire Real Estate Investor. Best ever deal you've done that you haven't mentioned? 18-unit apartment building. Bought it for 1.6, put 300000 into it, refinanced it for 2.7, got all of our money back plus two hundred k, and the thing cash flows ten grand a month. Mistake that you've made on a transaction? Speculating on condominiums in pre-sales at the end of the market. Lost three hundred grand on two units. Never speculate. That's the bottom line. What's the best ever way you like to give back? I like local charities, local causes, supporting local sports teams, and that kind of thing. And how can the best ever listeners get in touch with you or your company? Send me an email, info at ajhazzi.com. AJ, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for talking through the anatomy of a ground-up development deal that challenges 13-lot, three-acre piece that was rezoned and your whole process that you went from start to finish with the numbers as well as your best ever advice. One, two, three, punch. You get what you negotiate. Don't follow the crowd and protect yourself by always buying for cash flow. Never, never speculate. AJ, thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you soon. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, Joe. The Corporate Investor Podcast is geared towards successful corporate employees with high-income jobs looking to create a second stream of income. You'll hear from successful real estate investors on the show as they describe how they got started investing while working their full-time corporate job. Listen and subscribe at thecorporateinvestor.com. That's thecorporateinvestor.com.